Gemacast listeners, Hover would love to find a domain name for your passion. They'll automatically take 10% off your first order at the checkout using promo code JOMOCAST. My name is Christina Crook, and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JOMOCAST, a brand new podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. JOMO is the joy of missing out on the right things. Life-taking things like toxic hustle, comparison, disconnection, and digital drain in order to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, love, meaning, and joy. Welcome to the JomoCast. I want to first thank all the patrons who have signed up over the last little while at patreon.com forward slash JomoCast. You guys are amazing and you're making this podcast and the growth of this podcast possible. Thank you also to all of you who have written in and told us that you're enjoying the podcast and for sharing it and reviewing it as well. All of that makes this work go further. So thank you. Thank you for that. Today, I am excited to introduce you all to an individual who is creating a technology company that is a bit unusual, a little bit like our friend Salima Ibrahim last episode. Joe Hollier is the co-founder of The Light Phone, a phone that's designed to be used as little as possible. I traveled to Brooklyn to meet with him in the new lab. It's inside a historic naval yard in Brooklyn, and inside of that incredible, airy space is a vibrant startup ecosystem. And we sat down for a conversation about technology, skateboarding, and what happens when we leave our phone at home. I hope you enjoy it. I am sitting with Joe Hollier at the new lab. Um, Can you describe for our listeners where we are. Yeah, we're inside of the Brooklyn Navy Yard. It's, you know, it's a historic Navy Yard where they built some of the first ships here. I think the USS Arizona was built in this actual space. Um, and, you know, it was kind of dilapidated in the last decade or two. Uh, and the city has kind of been rejuvenating uh, the whole Navy Yard, but this space in particular. And so they started a kind of design-centric, hardware-oriented uh, co-working space. But it's does a good job of curating and providing us with different prototyping tools that are unique to the new lab. And then, you know, sort of bringing through different investors and connecting mm. people in different ways. So it's definitely an exciting space, especially for, you know, New York City, which never really had the the booming tech scene. Isn't it the Valley and then New York? And I've actually heard Toronto now is sort of emerging as a tech hub as well. Yeah, I've definitely heard that about Toronto. And I mean, it exists in lots of cities. I don't think it's particular to those, but um, I think, yeah, we're definitely seeing it grow out. I mean, it's just so expensive in San Francisco. It's like, and the internet makes it possible to work essentially from anywhere. So yeah, um, a lot of my friends that start startups, it's like Detroit or Austin. So yeah, the mobility is definitely possible. Thank you, internet. So Joe is the co-founder of a company called The Light Phone, and it is a phone that's designed to be used as little as possible. Can you take us on the journey to how The Light Phone came to exist? For sure. Um, So back in September of 2014, uh, Kaiwei, my co-founder, and I, uh, we had not met yet. We joined this sort of Google experiment. It was here in New York City, and it was 
position for designers and their hypothesis was, what if we gave designers some guidance and resource, introduced them to different thought leaders or founders, investors, um, would they be able to create this vision for new types of startups that, you know, through prototyping and sort of, you know, creating the vision, uh, faking it, um, they could inspire the investors and engineers to actually build build the companies because that's kind of how Google worked internally. The creative lab would come up with some wild idea, imagine it, and then you know the engineers could then try to to execute it. So that was their hypothesis. Um, I kind of joined as a I think more of a wild card to the rest of the designers. Because what was your background? Um, I studied traditional graphic design uh, here in New York City at the School of Visual Arts, uh, but I sort of dabbled with fine art. I was having art shows, but also stop motion animation, just sort of the mix of, uh, you know, mediums, photo, video, um, painting, collaging and stuff like that. Uh, But definitely nothing too tech heavy, Um, Mm. you know, using cameras and things like that, but nothing like. I had no ambitions to make a smartphone app. So when I joined this program, it was sort of so open-ended that I was curious enough um, and it was, you know, subsidized heavily from Google. So I was like, okay, nothing to lose. I'll try this. Um, And, you know, the first few weeks of the program, we're meeting all of these founders and, you know, it's exciting. You're like, wow, they started this thing and this guy. Um, But I did see a trend quite quickly of, you know, there was a kind of business model that, that they were really... I mean, it was almost the only way they wanted you to go forward, which was find something that's sticky that that people will use often. And if you have something that's sticky, addictive, you know, how many hours a day does someone use it, then you can, you know, make it free. It will scale. Um, You can collect data, sell ads to monetize it, and then, you know, wrap this pretty little bow on top that's going to make the world a better place by solving some, you know, problem that they probably created or, you know, (laughs) at least made up. And so I saw that and I kind of said, oh, wow, I made a mistake by joining this program. The last thing the world needs is a smartphone app. If I were to make a smartphone app, it'd be to get off the smartphone. Um, And in that kind of like joke with myself and Kaiway, we said, oh, well, what would that look like? Um, and we started to think of AOL Instant Messenger, which was, I guess, when I was sort of first introduced to the internet. And I remember that the internet lived in one computer. You know, it wasn't in my pocket all the time. I had one computer in my dad's little study. And when I went on that, I could, you know, maybe aim with my friends. But when I left the computer, I left the internet behind. And there was a much more conscious divide. And I thought, you know, how could we encourage people to put up an away message, you know, I think the smartphones kind of so ubiquitously just came into our lives. It was like overnight we went from, you know, that separation to like now I check email before I wake up and get out of my bed and brush my teeth. Um, Right. So I said, how can I encourage people to step away? And I think as an artist and a skateboarder, like I'd go out skateboarding, I would never bring my phone because I didn't want to break it. Um, And they were like the greatest days away. And I think I thought it had so much to do with skateboarding. And as I thought about it, I was like, actually being away from the phone is probably a big chunk of why it was so refreshing. Um, And I was like, how could I encourage people to leave their phone? And, you know, we thought about this sort of, you know, other phone, like uh, a simple phone, your second phone that you could leave your smartphone at home. It would become this kind of answer machine you know, if someone calls, hey, Joe's on his light phone, and if I wanted them to get through, they could reach me. Um, and so we we started um, with that idea by giving people flip phones and mm-hmm. try, trying to test it. So we gave a few friends some flip phones and asked them for the weekend to try it out. And, uh, you know, 
people described their initial anxiety with trying it, like I was tapping my pockets constantly, I was bored. And, and then there was always this kind of like turning point where they just forgot and sort of stopped caring. I, I used to joke like they crossed the wall of FOMO. They, <laughs> they no longer were thinking about what they might be missing out on because right. they had gotten distracted by the real world and they were present. And, you know, they described the relief that that brought them. Uh, but when we looked at the, the phone history, you know, they told us about this experience. No one had actually made any calls. Interesting. Um, so no one actually yeah. used the phone. And that's actually where that philosophy designed to be used as little as possible came from. We said, you know, the value of our phone is not doing anything. And the less it does, the more potentially valuable it would be. So that was kind of the, the design lens or philosophy, so to speak, that we kind of ran every decision through from the form factor. is like, how can we make it as invisible as possible? Will people carry credit cards and an ID almost universally, my mom to my little brother? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, okay, that's an interesting form factor. There's always going to be a place to stick it, whether it's right. your wallet or a backpack, or if you're going to the beach, you probably will have somewhere for it so it wouldn't be intrusive. And then uh, the the way that the screen kind of lights up um, so that when it's off, it looks completely blank. You know, it's like all about being as visible as possible, obviously, in functionality. Mm-hmm. The phone only makes phone calls. Uh, we limited it to nine speed dials. And so these are all sort of intentional decisions that made you not want to use the phone. Um, and the idea was that you would go light, you'd have that peace of mind that, God forbid, someone could reach you, but it was really about forgetting that it even existed. Um, and that was kind of how the light phone came to be. That's so interesting because I think, um, yeah, in my own experience, that having the ability for someone to call me as a parent, for example, being my kids don't have phones, my kids are very young, but for my partner to be able to reach me for some sort of family issue is the primary reason why I would bring it with me. The other one is Google Maps, which you may probably have heard before. That is the one, you know, the sort of the one thing that holds me to it again, because it's sort of a safety thing. But it's interesting that that, yeah, is probably the primary reason. In fact, it sounds like you've seen the data that that's the reason why primarily people bring it with them. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, why you don't just leave the house with no phone. What if there's an emergency, but then an hour later, your, you know, partner gets up to go to the bathroom and you're unconsciously scrolling away without right. even thinking. Uh, so, yeah, we bring it because of this one reason, the what if, but we find ourselves not actually using it in that way. Explain. Okay, so I want to hear the rest of your story. So you are and then I want to hear about the functionality of the actual mm-hmm. phone because I or want the one. lack of functionality. <laughs> the lack of functionality, but exactly how it, but in terms of like how it pairs with your smartphone and all that. So, okay, so you're doing this pro- this uh, program. What's it called again? The Google? It was called 30 Weeks. Yeah, I don't know 30 if weeks. I said that. And so it was basically like a school year long, um, September through May. Okay, so and 30 weeks. you and Kaiway connect and you mm-hmm. start getting... And, uh, Kaiway, I should mention, his background was in making phones or working in large teams that produce phones. Okay. And he, he had done that for, oh, I think, almost 10 years uh, and then had quit that life because he felt like, you know, the companies he was working for were just kind of on a tech spec race and they weren't designing phones because with users in mind, with actual humans in mind, he felt like, you know, he wasn't connected with the products he was working on. So he actually went back to school, got his second master's uh, at IIT, I always say ITT, IIT in Chicago um, for human-centered design. Um, And it was right after that program that he had joined this Google 
uh, incubator with me. And so it was kind of a perfect match in that he had this experience of how phones got made, but also this human-centered design perspective. So, you know, the light phone just was so aligned with where his head was at. And I, of course, probably could have never pulled this off without him. So uh, we're, we went through the program and we'd be pitching, you know, essentially a piece of plastic that I, I got made. I went down to Canal Street, had them trace my credit card on a sheet of plastic and cut them out for me. Um, and then I would use a sewing needle and fake where there might be speaker holes or something. And then Photoshop would, you know, fake it lighting up. Uh, and we had this little presentation and we'd pitch it to the different investors and stuff. It was a lot of great feedback, but something that really struck me was how polarizing the idea was. Mm. I mean, some people would come and it was like, wow, this is great, but other people really didn't like it. And that, uh, extreme polarizing like no one really seemed bored there was no one that was just like oh whatever people had a really strong opinion and as an artist i was like okay this is interesting there's a friction and tension and you know we're talking not just about technology but you know our how we spend our time on the weekend it was and it got much deeper and almost existential quickly uh so it was checking all of my personal boxes of yes interesting 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 uh and of course you know, the idea of actually trying to pull this off just seems so fun to, to <laughs> the naive idea. <laughs> uh, um, so we were pitching it. And then at the end of the program, we sort of reached this point where, you know, investors weren't going to just give us money to make this thing. It was so sort of out of left field uh, from, you know, where their portfolios of mostly smartphone apps that do exactly the opposite of the light phone, yeah. you know, the retention model and everything. So they were just kind of like, well, who would ever like interesting idea, but I don't know. And so we went to Kickstarter and we launched the Kickstarter campaign. That was uh, May of 2015. Um, and to our surprise, it kind of went viral. Um, I mean, we didn't have any experience launching anything. Um, and to see the press sort of grab onto that conversation, because it was that, you know, people weren't just unanimously loving it. It was, why would I ever pay $100 for a phone that does nothing? And it was like, now we're talking. This is an interesting question. Why would you? And, you know, maybe not initially, but I think and simmering on that idea, people did come around to like, wow, I can actually understand. And, you know, maybe they didn't buy the light phone, but at least our our product, you know, the idea of our product was able to touch them in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, so as an artist, I was like, wow, this is a super powerful idea to create products that kind of have ideas in them. Um, mm -hmm. And once you put a price tag on it, people will have an opinion. Right. Whereas like if I made a painting about smartphone addiction, it's like people might just say, well, I don't do art. I don't, you know, you kind of limit yourself, but everyone consumes. Right. <laughs> At least in this country. That was really interesting. And then the, the Kickstarter went well. We raised, I think, $400,000 um, and then went on to, you know, try the roller coaster of getting, getting the phone made. It required a lot more than $400,000. We had to get private investors and... You know, even getting a factory on board was kind of a stretch because they're like, interesting idea, but it seems too niche. And, you know, there is there is a risk for them to take on a partner like us. If we mm. never hit a real mass production, they probably won't actually see any tangible profits. Right. So, um, you know, even finding a factory, factory that was willing to take us on was kind of intimidating. We're like, oh, wow, we just got rejected from 20 factories. You thought if you had money, they'd want to make it. Um, but that's not necessarily... I would <laughs> never have taken that into consideration. So who ended up saying yes? Uh, 
Foxconn, which is basically the biggest electronics maker. They make almost everything, Xbox, PlayStation, iPhones. Um, wow. So they are the ones manufacturing the iPhone. Yeah. Um, they manufacture it and they actually even are like an investor. So uh, we met one of the VPs there and, you know, he personally resonated with the idea. He was like, email is ruining my life. Like I need this product. And I think that was the difference was, you know, there were already small phones that existed. There's all sorts of weird phones when you go out to Shenzhen in China, like phones in the shape of toy cars and anything you can imagine. So it wasn't like a radically new technology. Um, but yet the way we positioned it in the story, we kind of told, you know, none of these phones were getting the press that we had gotten, the, you know, the international press. And I think Kai and I were surprised just by how far reaching the demographic was. I think I sort of naively thought it'd be other Joes of the world, younger-ish creative types that probably work a lot on the computer and, you know, maybe make music or write and would use this as like a creative time tool. Um, but, you know, we saw older CEOs that were like, I can't even concentrate anymore. My secretary used to field all things, but now I bring my smartphone and it's like, I'm just getting blown up all day. Or, you know, even like kids in college were like, I can't concentrate on my papers. I want this. And I, you know, never would have thought a college student would want a phone with less. Um, so it was pretty inspiring to see just how wide um, the, the, the reaction was. Right. That's so exciting. Do you feel like part of why it went viral was because of your abilities as an artist? Because visually, you know, all of the graphics and all of the video that you have that I've been able to see online is incredibly inspiring and not what you would typically see, you know, in those spaces. So I would hope so a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it definitely all came from the heart. All the photos were photos I took with film cameras while testing the idea, you know, either with the flip phone or no phone, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> not even having a light phone. Right. Um, but like really getting into the headspace and, you know, we're artists and humans first before a business. I mean, we're learning now that you need to be somewhat of a business to try to stay alive um, and sustain. But uh, I, I would hope that that genuineness translated in, in some way through the words or images. And, yeah. But I mean, it definitely, it was definitely did. a conversation, but I also think, you know, four and a half years ago, this was now or four years ago, I guess. Oh man, almost five. Um, the, the conversation around smartphones was a different it was different then. Some people had just gotten their first smartphone and, you know, weren't, you know, it wasn't quite as obvious the side effects. Whereas today, I mean, the conversations, any, it's everywhere. Any newspaper you open, yeah. there might be something touching upon one angle, whether it's, you know, the, the social aspect of what it's doing to our conversations and empathy and our kids and their ability to talk to each other or like, you know, privacy, security and Facebook or, lack of focus and attention or, you know, our physical health, our eyes, our neck, uh, there's kind of like an angle for everyone, you know, the environment and throwing away your phone every year. It's like, there's so many angles, uh, that there's something that kind of everyone, uh, is aware of at least now. Um, so that's been exciting to see that happen over the last four years. Absolutely. It doesn't feel like it's as necessary or even necessary at all anymore to educate people on the negative impacts of the smartphone. Now it's a conversation about what's next. What do we do next? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
what do you think we need to do next? I mean, we don't try to pretend that we're the answer to the the, the dilemma of technology balance by any means. And, you know, using a light phone is one perhaps step in a more holistic approach, but it's not like a magic pill that you buy a light phone and now you're no longer vulnerable to <laughs> the, the tactics of the internet and smartphones and social media. Um, but we wanted to create an alternative so that, you know, maybe it's a relatively niche market of people that don't want a smartphone, uh, but there isn't really anything serving them. You know, we just felt like all the tech monopolies were getting more and more powerful, swallowing up any independent voice that was trying to do anything perhaps a little different. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all moving in this one direction, more and more connectedness. And we thought, you know, could being more connected possibly make us any happier? Like, could spending another hour on a different new app, like, really make us any happier? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we just wanted to try to create an alternative as well as like a way for people to step back and rethink and just kind of be like, all right, let's step back and soberly think about where maybe we'd want to step forward. And, you know, it's not necessarily less tech, perhaps. I think it's probably more a matter of like smarter tech or maybe smart's the wrong word because everything's smart these days. Uh, you know, more respectful tech, uh, a more intentional tech. You know, how can tech serve us versus you know, enslave us into, right. <laughs> into these phone zombie scroll holes. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Hover.com. Everyone's got their thing. My thing is the joy of missing out and Hover's is the joy of free domain registration privacy. Hover is an incredible company actually based here in Canada, which is where I live. And I use Hover for all of my domain registration and I have for years and years. I'm thrilled that they are here on board with the JomoCast in the very first season. And as a listener, you can go to hover.com forward slash JomoCast to get your next great idea registered in a domain at Hover. So thank you to Hover for sponsoring season one of the JomoCast. I have a couple of thoughts. Right away, when you said the word connectedness, I reacted to it because that word has you know, begun to lack any meaning in terms of what it means to be truly connected. And I recently came across, someone else had described um, being online less about being connected as it is about making contact. And I really liked that definition um, because it is a place to make contact, but it isn't actually a place to truly connect. I hear stories all the time about, yeah, I made they would call it, I would connect with someone online, but what they really mean is like tweeted, contacted someone. I made contact. <laughs> I made contact with someone online, but it only actually begins to have any value or a meaning once they take that contact and connect with them in real time, in real space and time. Um, so just to, to say that, and also this idea of what I'm hearing you say, and what it seems to me that you're doing with the light phone is actually you're adding in more friction. I don't know if this is something that you're talking about here within the new lab space and this conversation in terms of building more technology, but I'm hearing more and more about adding in friction. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. And I think that's kind of where I was trying to say, like, we're not an answer to your problems. Every startup comes out, we're the answer to all of your problems. We're going to make your life, you know, painless, this, that, whatever. Whereas the light phone, it's, we're going to make your life a little bit more difficult and not just because you you know, 
might have to figure out where you're going on your own, but even on a very like personal existential level, when you first try the light phone, and I still feel this having, you know, used my light phone for years now, um, there's an anxiety and, you know, sort of existential question of what am I doing with my day? What am I doing with my life? You know, you really can go there and those thoughts can be, you know, quite daunting, especially if you're so used to avoiding them by being like, well, whatever, I'll just react to this feed instead of taking the responsibility to actually own my day, um, kind of just used to giving it away. So it's it's like a series of questions. It's not even an answer. And in that regard, it's making your life more difficult, um, you know, perhaps simpler, but that's not necessarily easy. Mm -hmm. um, Right. It's a a difference. So yeah, we definitely like that friction. And I think in that friction, it, it proves that we are selling something, you know, I think if you just see the product, perhaps maybe you're like, "Mm, do I really need that? Is, am I really addicted? But when you take it away and you feel the anxiety, you're like, Oh wow. Like, this is an actual experience. And we've always said we're selling an experience, not really about the product itself. Um, The product is almost like a pet rock, in my opinion. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it kind of makes it special. You can kind of show off this thing and feel proud, almost your talisman that you've gone light, but it's the experience that has all the value. And, And I think the friction proves that it's real. And then, you know, hopefully there is some resolve to that friction, but some users, the friction was so much that, you know, they ran back to the smartphone and never wanted to try the light phone again. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a balance. Um, right. It's definitely not a neutral thing. Like you were saying, it's polarizing, but I think anytime we come into that place of having an extreme reaction, there's some sort of disturbance that's trying to get our attention. Right. And it seems like that's what you're doing with the light phone, um, which is extremely exciting. Um, where are you guys at now? I know you did, didn't you do another Kickstarter campaign? So tell it, yeah, tell me a little yeah. bit about that. Uh, so we, you know, began shipping the light phone in 2017. Uh, that was like the original one and it was very much positioned as a secondary phone. Um, you know, your phone away from phone. Uh, and along the way, uh, you know, we met all these other users that had already kind of ditched their smartphone and they loved everything that we were speaking about as a brand. But yet, you know, the light phone wasn't what they needed. They were already sort of living a light lifestyle. They weren't on a smartphone, but they had these pretty crappy flip phones and, you know, they were unsophisticated and they made life more, they weren't designed with any sort of, I don't know, actual intentionality. And we've you know, the smartphones have elevated that design of experience, user experience. So uh, we started thinking about making a, a second version of the phone that was potentially a replacement of the smartphone that was more of a tool, um, less of just a pet rock sort of conversation starter, more of something that you could, if you wanted, fully ditch your smartphone. I think the other side of that was uh, the users that were using the light phone a lot, they became convinced that they were not wanting to ever go back to their smartphone. They're like, I would love to use this as my only phone, but the bank sends me a text with a pin, you know, it gets really complicated. So that's why the original iPhone, we never positioned it as an only phone. Uh, So we, we, you know, saw that there was a a market for a sort of better, simple, full-fledged feature phone. And that's what the Light Phone 2 is. And it's not actually a replacement of the Light Phone 1. We are planning to continue making both side by side. Um, but the new one basically brings texting, uh, 
it has an e-ink screen, um, and then we're calling it a toolbox. So we're going to explore what other sort of tools we can make, you know, similar to what apps on a smartphone might be, but very intentional. They'd be black and white, typographic-based, um, and it would, you know, all be with serving the user in mind. So maybe that's ride sharing, whether it's Lyft or Uber, you know, being able to call a ride home. Is that a distraction? Is that going, you know, if, are you going to just check Uber prices while you're sitting at dinner? It's like, right. it's it's more of a tool in that way or a calculator, an alarm clock, um, you know, even just something as simple as an alarm clock. Like maybe this is your bedside phone only mm-hmm. and you don't go light at all during your day, but you at least don't bring your smartphone to the bedroom or something like that. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Uh, we launched the Lightphone 2 crowdfunding campaign again um, in March 1st, actually almost a year ago um, of last year, 2018. And we're pretty far along with the development of that. We're starting to fully test it internally, and we'll be launching those uh, to our, our backers starting late June. Very so exciting. So Lightphone 2 is coming, and yeah, that's been really exciting because— Go get them. Can people still submit? It's available for pre-order. Uh, Lightphone2.com would be take you right to the Indiegogo. But Lightphone.com would have you know all of our our links about both of the phones. Um, we're sold out of the original one, trying to get supplies to keep making those as well. Um, but it's exciting, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like um, now in 2019 we're at such a different place. You know, there was a delete Facebook movement last year and the the scandals have just escalated and and the problems are being felt by more and more people, you know, just people emails. I'm so fed up with this thing. And and so um, it's, it's exciting. I think finally it feels right where for so long, we've just seemed like this underdog niche, weird idea. Now it's like, Oh, there's actually some degree of market for it. You know, Apple came out with that screen time feature. And I think that, at least to like a lot of investors or potential partners, um, was like a sign of, oh, wow, this is a real thing. Not just some artful kid who like doesn't want to be on a phone because he's emo or something. It's like (laughs) there's an actual need. And when people saw that metric of like, oh, wow, I spent four and a half hours on my phone yesterday. I mean, there's a little bit of a wake-up call, I think, for some people. So that's all exciting to me because that's the conversation we're trying to have. 100%. I think that that is probably the most powerful thing um, that I've I've experienced with other people is when they do figure out how to look at their screen time usage or even go into their battery and look like a 10-day, you know, outlook on their top you know, where where they're spending their time, it's enough to start creating change. So it is exciting to see those um, types of changes. And um, change, I don't think, has to mean buying a light phone. Right. Like, you know, we are always encouraging people, like, just try deleting the social media apps. You'd be so surprised of how big of a difference that will make. But on the other side of that, you know, we've done a lot of testing. And sometimes if you take out the social media apps, then I find myself checking my email religiously. Okay, then I take off the email. Now I'm Googling weird things just because. And so for me, it was like once I really cut it out and sort of forgot about it all and really only had messaging call and maybe, you know, maps or something, that's when I was like, okay, now I actually feel free. Right. So <laughs> um, a light phone and a good book. Can help replace totally. <laughs> those, uh, or a friend, or know. a friend. Um, have you ever heard this quote? We are not going to solve the technology problem with more technology. Have you ever heard that? Uh, 
Not maybe that exact quote, but definitely an idea I'm familiar with. And, you know, there's a lot of irony in the light phone in that we're making a phone to help people get off their phones. It's beyond ironic <laughs> in many ways. Um, and I, I mean, the quote does ring true in many ways, even though we'd be really hypocritical in that. But um, our new technology is trying to be less technology. So it is an interesting yeah. kind of question. It's something that I come up against all the time. I mean, I'm doing an interview right now with Condé Nast, Spain, and they often or always will ask, you know, isn't ironic that I found you through social media? And the reality is, yes, of course, of course that is, right? Or even for me to find a bit of information about the light phone or you personally or any of that, right, online. The reality is, is it's a tool. And I love that that is how, what, how you're describing the light phone too, you know, as a toolbox, if it's used as a tool, if it's used well, it can be an incredibly powerful tool, obviously. Um, but when we're thinking about it as something other than that, when it's serving a need that it wasn't created to meet, um, I think that's when we get into the problem of overuse. Yeah, because I don't think the the problem with too much tech is, or the answer is to go to no tech completely, because, you know, I mean, it's amazing that we could even launch this light phone project on a crowdfunding platform that could reach people all around the world like that is something unique to you know our gen our era right now and that's incredibly powerful i mean i know lots of artists that have made books because of that and done projects and met their you know future wives and husbands and there's there is a something to that contact um, right and that can become a genuine connection but right now i think it's so spoiled tainted by the the sort of toxic business models of the the big players that it's just, you know, their interests are not aligned with ours. And if that's the case, then it can't ever really make us happy. <laughs> um, so I, I would say maybe the answer to too much tech is better tech, mm. smarter tech, absolutely um, more respectful. I think, you know, if, if the, 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 the business model changes so that it, you know, they're incentivized to serve us, then I think that's a, a pretty good start. Yes. Agreed. Um, two last things I want to talk with you about. Uh, this is the Jomo cast. We're talking about the joy of missing out. What does the joy of missing out mean to you? And maybe kind of connected to that is what do you think we should be missing out on culturally? Like what is the big thing that you're trying to get maybe yourself or others to miss out on? I don't know. I think for me, coming from a sort of art background and, you know, naturally making lots of visual things, social media seems like it, you know, something, especially like Instagram, that would just be, you know, heaven for me. Like I get to share all these things I make, but it, it turned out to be kind of a toxic relationship with it, you know, sort of very ego driven and narcissistic in many ways. And, you know, wanting to prove versus actually like sharing because you're sharing, um, and so I think for me, like taking that out of my work when I'm working, like not trying to think how it might live in some, you know, if, if every activity you're doing, you're thinking about how you're going to like post it and what someone might think you're not really living for yourself. You're living to like create this illusion that you're going to share. And, you know, that's ultimately never going to satisfy you. And so I think for me, the joy of missing out is really being with myself, um, you know, for better or worse, because, you know, <laughs> it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. But I think that's when I am genuinely happy and make the best work. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's like getting away from the social media for me and, you know, just not caring, like, you know, 
the news is so clickbaity and you know over sensationalized these days that it's like just reading it sometimes it's like you could throw off your whole day and you know not sort of participating in that wrestling match um right because you know critical news like when when things really happened, like you'll hear about it in real life. If you're out and about, like you will hear about it. I don't need to get the the notification 25,000 times a day. I can absolutely attest that that's true. When I was offline for 31 days, I mean, the big stories, people are talking about them. The excuse that you need to be reading news every day or every minute because you need to know what's happening is actually such a fallacy. And when you step back, you realize like nothing actually happened. They're just turning and skewing and you know it's like you're like whoa i didn't actually miss anything that's like maybe the joy of missing out is realizing that you're not actually missing out (laughs) that's the trick (laughs) um in your experience as a founder so this is a podcast for founders and creatives um primarily my friend cherry rose tan she's a multiple time founder out of toronto she says as founders this is how she describes the founder experience she says we begin with passion but we learn hustle and we learn fear and we learn grind. Has that been your experience as a founder? Oh, completely. Yeah, it started with naive passion. I fell in love with this idea of this little stupid phone and I wanted nothing more than to make it. And then in, you know, starting in, you know, the Kickstarter was a big turning point. I was like, oh man, now I have this ticking clock of I owe people phones and I have to figure it out. And that was incredibly daunting, you know, fear that I've never even experienced feeling responsible for these other people's money. And then the roller coaster of running a business and even the day in and day out, it's like, you know, I fantasized what it would be like to be designing the phone, but I didn't realize that there'd be 10 hours of emails before and after that almost every day, you know, uh, I think just the sheer volume of work was beyond what you could have ever predicted. And I don't really like to work like that. <laughs> I've never had a formal job. My freelance life was, let me just barely make enough money to pay the rent and then have, you know, fun is free for me. It's like when you can create fun, it's like I didn't need a lot of money. So money was never my motivation. Uh, so then it reached this point of like, what? why am I doing this? You know, you almost start to question, but it's that underlying passion that I think takes you through when, when you're like, oh, this thing is sinking, the ship is done. How can I possibly pull this together? Um, and, you know, I, I would actually also say like having a co-founder has been like one of the best things because it is such a roller coaster to have someone there for the highs to cheers, man. Wow. We did it. And then, you know, the opposite when it's like, Oh God, we're in the lifeboat and to have, you know, someone to lean on with and connect. Cause even, you know, some of my closest friends, it's hard for them to truly empathize with me to understand what it's like to go through that roller coaster. Just to have someone that feels it the way you do is, I mean, I don't know how I could have done it without that. So Thank you, Kylie. <laughs> what brings you most joy? If you could spend your time any way you want or when you do have free time, it doesn't sound like you have a lot, but when you do, like, what are the things that are really restorative and life-giving for you? I mean, I fortunately do take a lot of time. I think it's in our DNA as Lightphone, and I think it's funny that our investors, like, love that I, you know, won't answer their email on the weekend because I'm not on my computer. I'm out with no phone <laughs> roaming with my camera. Um, but, I mean... I think 
you so know, it's like photography. Yeah, it's like I have so many little hobbies, like playing piano, painting, sitting with my cat. But I think it's those moments of like appreciation when I'm, you know, not thinking about where I could be. When I'm just like, you know, actually this moment, this sunset in here in my apartment with my cat on my lap, like listening to a record. It's like this is everything I could have ever wanted. And when you're able to feel that and not be thinking, oh man, so-and-so is there. I wish that, or I wish I was here. Or should, what should I do next? You know, it's so easy to get in that train of thought. And when you're able to just sit and be, you know, whether that's sitting at the park under a tree and you're just like, oh. <laughs> or like walking the Williamsburg bridge and you like, look at the city and you're like, man, I live here. This is crazy. I always dreamed of living in New York City, and now here I am. I'm a, I'm a 28-year-old man now. Well, this is, you know, to like, you know, process some of those things. I think that would probably be my moments of most joy. That's beautiful, Joe. Thank you so much for being with me today. My pleasure. That was fun. Well, thank you for listening. You can learn more about our guests in the show notes and by visiting jomocast.com. The Jomocast is edited and produced by Thomas J. Inge musician and composer by day, podcast ninja by night. Special thanks to writer Rebecca Wigand, musician Peter Katz, and educator Adam Kaplan for their practical and moral support creating this season of the podcast. The JomoCast is listener supported. When you sign up as a patron at patreon.com forward slash JomoCast, you'll get access to many bonus episodes with me and digital sociologist, Dr. Jess Piriam. Plus, we'll send you a Jomo Manifesto letterpress print, stickers, and a handwritten card in the mail because I believe in the power of the personal. Plus, snail mail is just one of the most joyful things on earth. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you subscribe. And a five-star review would be spectacular. Do you want more Jomo? Go to experiencejomo.com to sign up for a free week of Jomo Quests to get you started on your journey. As always, remember, there is joy missing out on the right things. I'm your host, Christina Crook. Thanks for listening.